All right, we have tonight, uh, today and next week before we finish up this series. And again, a reminder on next week, we're going to kind in a way, it's going to be a different kind of summary, but we're going to go back over the stories that we have looked at so far from the book of Acts on those folks who have uh, been converted to Christianity and kind of review these steps as we see them in each story. A real quick summary, okay, you know, we have this story, Did do we, you know, is there evidence reported in the Bible, not from what we can assume, but evidence reported in the Bible of this happening, this happening, this happening, and then as we go through these different steps, we'll kind of compare and contrast, look at uh, the steps of salvation in general, and, and kind of recap what conversion is, but today we are going to primarily look at which, which conversion story? Saul. Saul. Right. Somebody's been paying attention. All right. I did want to back up just a bit. Back to Acts chapter 19. It's actually not really a backing up. It's more of a... We're going to back up when we go to Saul's conversion, really. So, Because actually, when we're in Acts chapter 19, if Paul is doing the preaching, he's already a Christian. So we're... We're bouncing around a little bit here, obviously. Good morning. So, Acts chapter 19, if someone would read the first five verses for me, please. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. All right. So, interesting story. We have some folks that Paul has encountered who are here in Ephesus as he is out on his missionary journeys who uh, are assembling, studying the word, uh, praying, and he says, um, he refers to them in verse 1, the last, that last statement in verse 1. How does he refer to them? What name does he give them? Disciples. What was that? Disciples. Disciples. He calls them disciples. Now, a disciple is what? Follower. A follower. Okay. And it specifically, not only just someone who's following, but trying to learn and live in the way of whoever it is that they are a disciple, of whomever they are a disciple, right? In other words, disciples of Christ are trying to learn from Christ and live the way Christ lives. So, just a, a little more structure, a little more detail than just simply follow. Uh, so he refers to them as disciples, and he asked them about receiving the Holy Spirit, which is an interesting question to ask at this place, at this point in time. Uh, we've already had at least one um, recording of people becoming Christians here in the book of Acts that we've looked at, where there was no outpouring of the miraculous Holy Spirit, right? I remember that? Who was that? 
Lydia. Yeah. So with the account of, of course, with Cornelius, that was a lesson that, that Ron taught. There was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that uh, was a confirmation that God approved of these Gentiles becoming Christians. Of course, we had the outpouring of the Holy Spirit back on the day of Pentecost. We've had other encounters with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We had the Holy Spirit showing up and miraculous things happened with the jailer, uh, with the, the shackles being released and the doors being opened and, and all of these things, the earthquake. Uh, and now we have here in Acts chapter 19, Paul asking the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Now, I might ask each of you the same question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were baptized? How do you know that, Helen? Scripture tells us. Scripture tells you. Great answer, Helen. <laughs> Great answer. What was there something that happened at that moment that was revelational, you know, fireworks going off or anything like that? Flames of fire above your head? Nothing like that. No. But the scripture told you. How did these people respond when Paul asked them if they'd received the Holy Spirit? They had not even heard, which takes us now specifically, this is about hearing the gospel message, receiving the Holy Spirit. We could say it's part of that good news, but it's a detail that's not in the summary statements that we call the gospel, that Jesus Christ lived a, a sinless life died on the cross, was buried, and was raised again. We, we simplify the gospel that way, but there's a lot more to it than that, right? So they had not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So once they replied in that manner, he asked them about their baptism. Well, into what were you baptized? Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Into what were you baptized? What did they answer? John. 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 Okay, so we know that when Christ was in his ministry, and John was out in the wilderness, you know, with his loincloths and grasshoppers and honey. Just a wonderful life, right? When he's out there, and he's telling the Jewish leadership that come to see him that, that uh, you know, he's challenging them in lots of, lots of ways. He was preaching baptism. And yet Christ had not yet died, been buried, and rose again. What kind? What was the purpose? What was happening with John's baptism? Well, it says it's for repentance. Okay. I mean, he's truly paving the way. Mm-hmm. Okay. He's identifying followers. John was tell. He was preaching about the coming Messiah, right? He was teaching them about Jesus. He was also teaching them and preaching to them to change, to repent. When we, we've got the sermon series going on with church words right now, and I'm sure repentance is probably one of those church words that's going to be addressed at some point that's on Jack's list. But repentance is one of the things that John was preaching. He was telling people, you need to change. You need to get to become what God really wanted you to be and quit focusing on being a worldly person, a sinful person. You need to quit getting caught up in all these man-made rules. I mean, when he was preaching to the Jewish leadership, he was getting onto them for, for holding these rules over people's head and, and all the things that they were doing. And so John was a very bold 
uh, preacher of the coming of the Messiah and what that meant. And he was telling people they needed to change, and then he was doing this washing of baptism. And, and baptism is a ritual that goes back into the Jewish history and Jewish practices in that there was a cleansing ritual that they would go through. A lot of times they would have to go through a cleansing ritual before they could perform the, the priest would, before they could go into the most holy place. Um, the Jews would have to go through a cleansing ritual with some of their their practices the, on days of atonement and different things like that. And so baptism was not something that was just brand new to the Jews. This whole idea of physically cleansing themselves in preparation for a spiritual cleanliness. They, had, they were struggling in understanding the difference between physical and spiritual because everything for them was spiritual. Killing animals. I mean, everything for them was physical. Killing animals, the spilling of blood, the getting clean for the priest. Everything was very physical in the way that God was teaching them and preparing them for, to learn the spiritual but baptism had been a practice that they would have been familiar with. And John preached baptism to uh, Jews and, and Samaritans, those who were from the northern kingdom. And so these people had heard the baptism of repentance that John had preached. They had done that. They had been told about the coming Messiah. Paul encounters them. He refers to them as disciples. Those who obviously had been hearing the word of truth in some form or fashion, if they were disciples, but they had not been baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. They had been baptized as an act of repentance. And so Paul preached to them. He taught them, um, told them that John indeed baptized baptism of repentance, uh, saying that the people that they, to the people that they should believe on him who would come after John, that is Christ, and when they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid hands on them, this is an important note in that, that uh, sixth verse. Not when they were baptized, not when they came out of the water, but when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. So there weren't that many people that were gathered there at that point. But I think it's important to know that when he asked them about the Holy Spirit, we know, as Helen said, because we believe, we have heard the word, we've read it, we've heard, we believe what we read in the Bible, that we receive the Holy Spirit when we become Christians. And so as we are baptized into Christ, we receive that gift, we're marked by the Holy Spirit, and there's a whole lot of that that we still struggle to understand in this physical world, and these physical bodies that we live in. So uh, just wanted to kind of go back and cover that particular conversion story because there were people here who were already studying, already gathered together, already referred to as disciples because they were learning and trying to become like Christ, but they were not yet baptized into Christ. Okay, um, We can talk about their salvation next week. All right. So now let's look at the conversion of Saul, who became Paul. The story is told three times in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9 is the original event, if you will. Of course, that's just a recording that Luke has recorded for, so it was after the fact. Acts chapter 9 is it's told in the way as, as if it were happening. In Acts chapter 22, Paul recounts the story because he encounters a group of Jews who are upset with him for what he's preaching and teaching, and they are persecuting him, and he retells the story to them. And in Acts chapter 26, he retells the story once again as he's standing before 
Roman uh, leadership, Jewish leadership as well. Okay, so the story is actually told three times in the scriptures. Um, Paul introduced himself in Acts chapter 22 as he's, refer, as he's talking to this Jewish mob who was coming down on him for all the things that he was doing. He introduced himself to the mob as a zealous Jew who had persecuted followers of Christ. So, just a little bit on the history of Paul, Saul, tell me a little, somebody tell me something about him, his past. Anybody? Okay, his name was Saul, not Paul before, right? How did he grow up? Go ahead. No, he was a persecutor. Okay. He was... Okay, so he was there holding the coats of those who were stoning Stephen. He was a persecutor of Christians. How did he grow up? Gamaliel. At the feet of Gamaliel. Yeah. A very well-respected, well-known teacher of the Jewish faith in the synagogues. He grew up at his feet, learning from him, learning from the best. He refers to himself as a zealous Jew. He was passionate he was fully given in to what he believed was right in the eyes of God and what was being taught by, by Jewish leadership. He was, we might say in, in today, if someone's going to a church, a church that teaches sound doctrine or even a church that is teaching some false doctrine, but they are fully given in and they are giving everything they have. Is there a group you can think of where someone is really dedicated and given in to everything that's taught. Well, I know what you're trying to, to get to, but first thing that comes to my mind is Mormon because of their zealousness over the Book of Mormon, that type of thing, yeah. even though they discount the, the Gospels. Yeah, very zealous. I mean, some of the things that they do, we look at them and think, well, I wish I was a little bit more like that sometimes, don't we? With their going out and being... Even though we we discount the effectiveness of door knocking, they do a lot of door knocking. Guess what happens when they do a lot of door knocking? They have converts. Yeah. What, Tammy? It's hard to believe, isn't it? They get a lot of doors slammed in their face, I'm sure. They do. Or shut. Yeah, or, or slammed. They probably get the police called on them from time to time. Yeah. Yeah. I had a few conversations yeah. with them. They walked away and said, well, we're sorry that you don't believe. Did yeah. I said, well, I read the Bible. <laughs> but they they're, were, they were they're very zealous. Very zealous. Yeah. Okay. And I don't know, genuinely, I've had some conversations with some of those young men, those young men who are referred to as elders. That, I, that I, confuses me. Yeah. I, I've had some conversations with them. I've invited them in to sit down on the couch and have a cup of coffee and talk. They usually just drank water and didn't accept the coffee, but I've had some conversations with them. And I, I'm not convinced that all of them are emotionally, passionately convicted about the efforts that they are undertaking, but they still submit to their leadership, their parents, their church leadership, and they do it. And I think there's a lesson in that for us. I think the goal is for us to really believe in what we're doing, but sometimes 
when we know that there are, we are taught that there is a right thing and we trust those who have come before us and we trust our leadership to be guiding us in the right way, sometimes we just have to submit and do it. And there's some real, real uh, good lessons in that. Paul said that he had been raised up as a example, a Jew among Jews. You know, he was raised up at the feet of Gamaliel, the best and most respected teachers, taking it all in. He was doing all these things. And not only was he, he wasn't just going through the motion of submission, he was passionate about what he was doing. He said he was zealous about it. But he was a Pharisee. A Pharisee. Which uh, Jesus didn't exactly approve of. Okay. Yeah, he's very legalistic, wasn't he? Had all these rules and he was going to make sure he abided by them and he was going to tell anybody else who wasn't abiding by them how they were messing up. Okay? That was kind of the, the tendency for the Pharisees. Now, he had this zeal. He had this passion. He was taught by Jewish leadership. Was the Jewish faith, the Mosaic law, wrong? No. It was God-given, right? And it had a purpose. Was it made wrong when Christ came? Was it? It was fulfilled. It wasn't made wrong. It was fulfilled. Everything in the old law is valid and complete and true and accurate will of God. And God is not changing, right? But it was fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Sacrifice under the new law still exists. There is still sacrifice under the law of Christ. It's just not a sacrifice that we have to go take the first of our animals because Jesus Christ has already been the perfect sacrifice. There's no need for further sacrifice. But sacrifice is still a part of the new covenant. Everything that happened under the old law, everything that the people were taught to do, exists sometimes in a spiritual fashion as God has matured us and taken us from the physical to the spiritual in a spiritual fashion, but it still exists. Paul was one of those who bought into the old law. He was taught God's law that was given through Moses to the Jewish people or to the Israelites at the time and was carried down and followed by the Jews. And he was following it passionately because he believed what he was doing was right. And he wanted to please God. Paul tells us that. Later on, he writes that everything he did when he was persecuting the church, he did with a good conscience before God. He was seeing people murdered, but he believed that they were rightfully being put to death and persecuted under God's law. He believed it was the right thing to do. So he had a good conscience before God when he was doing it. And as soon as he learned that it was wrong, what did he do? Turned away from it. He repented. Yeah. When did he learn that it was wrong? On the road. <laughs> and where was he going on that road? To go and persecute. He was going to persecute more Christians. Who stopped him? The Lord. That's a pretty amazing story. We get the appearing of Jesus in other than his life. You know, his his 33 years. We, we get the appearing of Jesus just a few times. We get John 
seeing him in the book of Revelation. We get Paul seeing him on the road to Damascus. There's some other references in the Old Testament with Joshua across the River Jordan that many people believe that the one who stood before him was was Jesus, the Son of God at that point in time. Uh, scholars debate that, but there's some good evidence for that. So we, we get the appearing of Jesus before men only a handful of times outside of the 33-year life that he lived. Paul is someone he, had cho- he chose to appear to. Saul, the one who was persecuting the church, is someone he chose to appear to. Why do you think he chose, and this is you think, why do you think he chose Saul? Because he saw his passion going one way. He knew that had that same passion when he was thought right. Okay. That's the way I've always thought of it. He, okay. knew, God, he knew that man was going to be passionate in whatever, whichever way he went. So he valued the zeal. Yes. Paul referred to himself as zealous multiple times. You believe God values that zeal. Okay. Is that, is that what you just said? I think so. Okay. But he was a man for the time and the age and the people because he could speak Greek, he could write Greek, he was a Roman citizen. Where did Paul end up going and ministering and planting churches? Well, basically uh, Turkey and then over into Greece. and The the headquarters of the old Greek empire and culture, which was very much based on intellect and academia, and Paul was a very well-educated man. So you're right, he was a man for the time, right? The fact that he was a Pharisee among Pharisees, that he was raised to the feet of Gamaliel, made him respected among the, the at least his history, respected among the Jews, gave him credibility there. So he had credibility among the Jews. His intelligence and education would have given him credibility among the Greeks. And those are the areas in which to which Paul went. And it made him a man for the times and the place, right? The culture that he was sent to, Okay. God looks at not the outward appearance, but the heart. What did Paul add? We just talked about a minute ago. Paul said that everything he did, he did with what? With a clean conscience. Clean conscience. Yeah. What is, and that means that he thought and desired to please God in what he was doing. Everything he did, he did because he was trying to please God and thought he was doing the right thing. And as soon as he learned that he needed to do something different to please God, he changed. God knew his heart. God knew that, that Saul loved him and wanted to please him. He was someone who loved God, who was zealous about what he wanted to do, and had the credentials, had the resume, had the abilities to reach the culture and the people to whom he was going to, to be sent to speak. Okay, So he... He heard the word on the, the road to Damascus, and we can, we can go through and you can read in Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, Acts chapter 26. You can read that story again. I think, I think with this group of people that most of us are at least a little bit familiar with the fact that he was on the road to Damascus. There was a blinding light. He heard the voice from heaven. Uh, he fell to his knees. He had a covering over his eyes. He was sent. Uh, to, he had blind for three days before Ananias was sent to him. And, and and I think it is important that we read the story of his encounter with Ananias after he had been there for three days, fasting and praying. So, um, go ahead. <clears throat> Matter of fact, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 9, if you're not there already. Matthew 
verse 8, Saul arose from the ground. When his eyes were opened, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. He saw no one because, as we read his retelling, he was blind. We find that there were like scales or something over his eyes. There's been a lot of scientific explanations that his eyes have been burned and that was what whatever. His eyes, he couldn't see. And uh, <clears throat> there was a, he was three days without sight. He neither ate nor drank during that three days. There was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to this street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. And Ananias, he says, well, I've heard about this man, and I'm not so sure this is a great idea. <laughs> this man has been killing Christians. I don't, and putting and putting some in prison. I'm not sure this is a great idea. Uh, he has authority to capture and bind everyone who calls on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way, entered the house, laying hands on him. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord... Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Now, um, when Paul, Saul was renamed Paul, when he's retelling that story in Acts chapter 22 and Acts chapter 26, he gives us a little bit more, a little few other words and, and statements that were made. Um, in verse 16 of Acts chapter 22, um, Ananias says that we're actually we'll back up to verse 14. The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Uh, again, an important point. So we've talked about that Paul heard, he met Jesus Christ on the road. He heard Jesus' voice. He listened to him. And Ananias was sent to him and taught him some things as well. He believed those things that he had heard. Uh, we obviously see repentance just in the simple fact that he changed. He left his mission. He went and stayed for three days without eating and drinking. And we see him taking action on the things that Ananias taught him, and then his life obviously reveals a change that he is no longer persecuting the church, but he is building the church. So we see repentance in that. We see him confessing his belief through him retelling the stories over and over again and going out and preaching the word. His life and his words are a constant confession of what he believes. And when Ananias says, what are you waiting on? Arise and be baptized doing what? washing away your sins, and calling on the name of the Lord. Paul does that. And so the question that some people might pitch at you at that point is, when was Saul saved? Well, it gives you the impression that the Holy Spirit fell on him when the, his eyes, the scales fell off. Did that make him saved? How do we know? There's some specific words there, I think, that reflect that reveal this to us. 
Ananias, okay, what, what, if, if, what are we saved from? Sin. Sin. We are saved from our sins. To be saved from our sins, what needs to happen to them? Okay, so sin is filth and dirt before God, and we need to be presented to God clean, and therefore our sins need to be removed. So to have our sins washed away, we use that term washed. I suppose they could be scrubbed away. That could be any other way, but God has us washed them away. Uh, we are baptized, and it is a spiritual act, the act of a good conscience, Peter writes for us. It's not the washing away of the filth of the flesh, the dirt off the body, or anything like that, like all the dirt I had on me yesterday. It's not that. It is the washing away of your sins because of the act of a good conscience calling on God. Ananias, when he is teaching Paul, he says, what are you waiting on? Arise and be baptized, washing away your sin, calling on the name of the Lord. Some people will argue because the Holy Spirit fell on him when his eyes were or had scales on them. Some people will argue with other accounts of conversion in the scriptures about the Holy Spirit coming on them. Cornelius and his family, the Holy Spirit came on them before they were baptized. Saul, the Holy Spirit comes on him. It appears before he's baptized. And, and there's many people who argue that that is the point of salvation. Uh, some people will argue the point of salvation is before that, that immediately when they believe that, that they've, they've been saved. I, I don't, I will say this is a probably a controversial statement. I don't know about all of that and how exactly God works. What I do know is God said, do this and do this and do this. And here are the results of these things. And over and over and over again in the scriptures, we are told, read the, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Go back to our, one of our very first lessons. I mean, it, it's an anthem for us. I know sometimes we beat it without even thinking about it. But when the people who were convicted of guilt because they had crucified the Son of God said, what do we do? Peter answered, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sin, the remission of sin. When, when Saul is approached by Ananias, and Ananias says, what are you waiting on? Rise and be baptized, washing away your sin, calling on the name of the Lord. And over and over throughout the scriptures we are taught that it is when we are baptized as an act of obedience to the gospel, the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that our sins are washed away. We're told we're baptized into Christ. We're told that we're added to the church. And all of these things are part of that, especially the being baptized in Christ or clothed in Christ at the point of baptism is how we then are able to present ourselves clean and spotless before God. So it's at this point, the washing away of sins, which Ananias, as Luke records for us, teaches Paul, happened with his baptism, that we get into Jesus Christ with our sins washed away, able to be presented spotless before God. So I, I think the conversion of Saul here gives us, although it was a miraculous encounter, it is a conversion that is 
is uh, very clearly recorded for us to show us at what point Paul then became a forgiven Christian and added to the church. There's a whole lot of things that happened after that with his life. A whole lot of study, a whole lot of continued change, a whole lot of persecution, a whole lot of doubt by other Christians who distrusted him, just as just as Ananias argued when, when God sent him. And by the way, when I was talking about Jesus appearing to other people, obviously Jesus appears to Ananias here to tell him, go, now you go talk to, to this, this Saul. So, uh, but Saul encountered Jesus on the road. He was blinded. He went into the city. Um, he was convinced that he had been wrong religiously, that the things that he had been doing were wrong. Uh, he realized that he had denied that the one that he was denying is God's true son. That um, as a result of his experience, he believed in Jesus. And he showed the fruits of repentance in his life when he prayed and fasted for three days. And then he was baptized. Uh, Romans chapter 10 verse 13 states that whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. What did Ananias tell, tell Saul to do when he was baptized? Arise and be baptized, washing away your sins. Calling on the name of the Lord. Why do you think that terminology is used? Why did Ananias say calling on the name of the Lord? That was used in the Old Testament in Genesis. Oh, in Genesis? Hmm. Lots of people called on the name of the Lord. Okay. What, what does that signify? Authority. Hmm? Authority. Okay. So if it signifies authority, then it also signifies submission to authority on our part. I, I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth here, but I think that's where you're going with it, right? Okay. And it's a desire to reach out to God. A desire to reach out to God. Okay, a desire to please Him. We already talked about Saul had a desire to please God. He was just going about it the wrong way. Once he was taught the right way, he changed. Okay, so a desire to please God, a submission to authority. And it's telling everybody else that that's why what he has done, that he is... Uh, Confession. Right. Yeah. It is public confession. And, and we ask for a verbal public confession whenever we baptize someone. The act itself is a confession in and of itself. It is an act of obedience. It is an act of, that, that, that results in a lot of things that are gifts from God because of obedience. But it's also an act, an act that has to be done, and I'm looking for one word still, an act that must be done in submission. Faith. Anybody can go be baptized, right? At any point, anywhere, no matter what they believe, anyone can be baptized regardless of what they believe, right? Is the baptism significant if they don't believe and trust in Jesus Christ? It might be significant in something in their life. I don't know. Some other groups might start using baptism for, there may be some, you know, really fringe religious things things out there that use baptism. I don't know. 
But if you're going to be baptized for the purpose of having your sins washed away and being clothed in Christ, then you must have faith in Jesus Christ. So without this, and I might even throw, because I think faith is more than belief, because even the demons believe, right? Even the demons believe, and they tremble at the name of, of Jesus, but it doesn't mean that they're saved. So there must be a belief and a, a trust and then an obedience based on that belief and trust. And I think the calling on the name of the Lord is all the things that you talked about with the confession and the submission, but it's also a, it signifies and tells us that this is an act that's being done in faith in Jesus Christ and faith in God the Father and faith in the promises that they have delivered that we trust them and are willing to be obedient. One of the best examples, two, two best examples, Old Testament examples I can use um, to, to kind of signify the idea of I'm going to do something that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I'm doing it because God said do it. Okay? Two Old Testament examples. One, the Israelite army approaches the city of Jericho. A massively walled city. Uh, if you've ever studied the significance of the structure of the walls that were built around Jericho, it's not what we typically picture. These were earthen mounds that were thick and deep with massive, massive walls. Taller than most, what most of you would imagine that were built on top of these earthen mounds. And they were, they were wide enough that chariots could drive across the top of them. It wasn't just a stone wall, you know. It wasn't like building a rock fence around your house. And so you had this massive wall built around the city. And the people inside are trembling because they've heard what God has done with other peoples. They're not coming out. The Israelites need to be able to conquer this city as they come into the promised land. But God gives them a great battle strategy, right? For seven days, I want you to march around this. Well, really, let's say six days, I want you to march around the city. And then on the seventh day, I want you to march around the city seven times. And after you've marched around the city seven times, I want you to yell as loud as you can and blow your trumpets as hard as you can. And you'll win the victory. Boy, if I'd been a military leader, I'd been like, yes, that's a great battle plan, right? Yeah, it didn't make any sense. It didn't make any sense. But you know what the people did? They did what he said. They were obedient. And when they were obedient... The walls came down. When they were obedient, they won the victory. Another story from the Old Testament. There was a Syrian army commander by the name of Naaman. And Naaman had a dreaded disease that isolated him from other people because it was very contagious and no one wanted it. Disease was leprosy. And Naaman had heard about this prophet over in Israel that could heal people. So he takes his, he gets his army and his entourage and he takes a bunch of gifts and money with him and he runs over to Israel and he finds this prophet and actually doesn't find the right one at, the, at first. Then he ends up at the right place and it's like, I've been told you can heal me. What does the prophet tell Naaman to do? Go dip in the river Jordan seven times. Naaman's response to that is, cool, I can do that. That's dirty. I can go home and get in a clean. Have you seen that river? Oh my goodness, it's nasty. 
It's nasty. I don't want to get in that river. I'll go home. There's clean rivers in Damascus. I'll go home and get in one of those seven times. And as he's, he, he, he ignores what he's told and he's leaving and his, his uh, assistant tells him, what are you doing? If he had told you to go conquer a nation, you would have said, here we go, I'll go do it. If he had told you to kill a mighty beast, he would, you would have said, all right, here we go, we're going to go do it. If he told you to be a dragon slayer, you know, you would have taken off to go do it because you're a military man. But he just told you to go dip in this river seven times. So he actually went and did it. And the Bible tells us that when he came up out of the water, which time? Seven. Seven times. What happened? He was clean. He was clean. Did it make sense? Did the River Jordan have a miraculous healing powers? What led to his healing? Obedience. Obedience. Baptism for us is just like the Jericho walls, and it's just like the leprosy. Or excuse me, it's, it's not like the walls and the leprosy. Sin is for us like the walls and the leprosy. Baptism for us is the same as the marching around the city and the dipping in the River Jordan seven times. It is obedient. It, it may not make a lot of sense. We may not understand scientifically to figure out how this getting in this water has something to do with our salvation and eternal life. It may not make any type of scientific sense to us or to the world, but it is an act of obedience to a creator who loves us and has said, I'm going to give you something really simple to do. Here's, here's what I want you to do. If, if you have heard about my son and you believe what you've heard, I want you to change your life. I want you to be willing to talk about it and live in such a way that you are a living example of him. And I want you to start this journey off by getting into Jesus Christ and having your sins washed away as an act of faith as you are baptized. And we got people that go, I don't make any sins. John 3.16 said, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It doesn't say anything about baptism. It also doesn't say anything about changing your life. It also doesn't say anything about confessing. It doesn't say anything about either. It just says, believes in Him. And Jesus Himself says the demons believe and tremble. But they're not saved. So obviously there's more to it than belief. Mark 16.16 Mark 16.16 says, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Why didn't John say that in John chapter 3? That sure would have simplified things a whole lot, wouldn't it have? Why in the world does someone have to go and say, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved? Boy, that really messed things up for the world. Because people want to do as little as they can to get by. Just like Naaman, people want to go, oh, there's a cleaner river. I'll go do it this way. Oh, this is more simple. I'll just call on the name of the Lord. Oh, this is more simple. I believe. Therefore, that's enough. They don't want to march around the wall seven days in a row and seven times on the seventh day. They don't want to go dip in a dirty river seven times. They don't want to go to a clean baptistry and do something they don't understand scientifically how it works. They don't want to be obedient to what the Word says. Matter of fact, they don't even want to read the Word. They just want to take the easiest path that they've ever heard and go that route. Paul went and fasted and prayed for three days until God sent someone to him who was scared of coming, but who in faith responded and said, here I am, Lord, and went and shared with Paul, here's the Jesus 
who is the Lord, the one you've been persecuting, his church that you've been persecuting, and you have sins, and you need to get right with God. What are you waiting on? Arise and be baptized, washing away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And Paul did it. And then what did Paul do? He got after it. He, he didn't. He didn't. He did. He didn't. He didn't get after it the way we think he did immediately. He probably did locally, but he went back home for a, between 13 to 14 years and studied and trained before he started preaching and teaching and going on missionary journeys. You sure it was that long? Yes, I'm sure. I want you to show me in the Bible. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'll look. No. Yeah, I'll, I'll look. It, I'll look it up. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm. I'm. I'm positive. So yeah. So uh, next week we're going to wrap up all of these, kind of do some compare and contrast, and we're going to talk again about conversion and what God expects of those who have been converted to, to wrap up, what it means to live faithfully. Okay. All right.